up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today we are talking about empaths and basically just some tips for empaths. I have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> Usually I have some sort of idea, but this one is just, I have no idea. So I guess we should just dive right in. I think the first thing we have to do is define what an empath is. Like a dictionary definition or how we see what an empath is? All of them. Okay, I don't know what the dictionary definition is of an empath. <laughs> so now I have to look that up. <laughs> I know it's going to be a quiz. Empath. Yes, and there's a time limit. Do, 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 do. Oh, will we get my God. De- I was about to say, will we get demonetized like we're a YouTube channel? I don't want to get in trouble for using the Jeopardy theme music. So I hope that was under five seconds. Oh, Oh, really? That's a thing? Oh, God. The American Empath Association, I did not know there was one, defines empaths as people who can detect the thoughts and feelings of other people, places, animals, or objects. They not only discern these emotional states and physical feelings, they absorb them as well. And you know what? That's pretty much what I thought. That's a very interesting definition because I do not consider, or I did not previously consider empaths to pick up on thoughts. I thought I that is like psychics can hear your thoughts or like telepathics can hear your thoughts and empaths can feel your feelings. So well, that's a very interesting, like maybe telepaths would be considered empaths. It's like an umbrella term. Maybe. When I think of they know your thoughts, I don't think they know, like if I'm sitting here going – you know, I have to have, I'm going to have a sandwich for lunch today. Like, I don't think they yeah. know that. But I guess your mood. Yeah. Which I kind of see like how I'm feeling. Like I could be feeling tired, but my mood could be aggravated. Yes. Okay. So I kind of feel like my mood is kind of like how I'm thinking versus how I'm feeling. Does that make that sense? That is such an English teacher answer. Like, yeah, so they can tell the mood <laughs> and the theme of and your the piece. <laughs> and the tone. But, like, actually, that's probably a great way to consider it because those those are different things. And being able to pick up on each of them would give you a different picture of what a person is experiencing at one given time. Like, I'll give you an example. So I was feeling great. I was feeling rested. Mm-hmm. But... Job, my job, I don't remember what part of it. I don't think it was the kids because the kids are rarely my problem at work. It's always the adults that yeah. annoy me. Um, so my kids, I should say, my students, because other students, that's a whole other story when, but not Always are dangerous kids. places. Yeah. My kids, I don't have complaints about. But anyway, something was bothering me at work. So my mood, I was kind of pissy. And I was feeling like I just want everybody, not my kids, but everybody to just get away from me. Like, just leave me yeah. alone. And an empath said to me, oh, I don't know if I should come near you today. You feel like prickly. Like, she hadn't even talked to me. She was mm-hmm. like, she just felt like my aura was like spiky. And that was my mood. And when she was working in the building, I always remember having to be really careful because I don't want to affect her based Mm -hmm. on what's going on with me like I just feel that's not fair like she didn't deserve to like pick up on this you know so I would always try to be like okay just stabilize 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 because she's working today and it's like why should she be infected with this nonsense type of thing um Mm -hmm. so yeah so that's kind of how like I I saw it because again I was feeling great but my mood and I was not see the thing is it's never on my well it is on my face if you know me. Yeah, but, don't you know, lie to the audience. It's I on know. your face. <laughs> Everything's on my face. But like when the kids come in, I'm always smiling. So even if somebody has just pissed me off, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that to my students. I'm not going to be angry at my students because they didn't do anything. So, you know, I'm always like, hey, good morning. What's going on? Even if I'm seething. But this person picked up on that, even though at the moment, I just remember she came in when students were coming in and I was trying to be all like, hi, how mm-hmm. is everybody? And she was like, oof, like, oh, my, no, 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 no. You know, it's like, oh, damn, like, that's really bad. Yeah. I think that tracks, that experience tracks with what I think of as an empath. Um, I get like, for me, it always was like, I see an empath as someone who is like intuitive on another level. 
right? Like their intuition is specifically really focused on like the human experience and able to really pick up on like shifts in mood. And I agree with the part of the definition where it's like sometimes they absorb that. Um, What I realized, what I realized while we were getting set up for the podcast is there was actually a period of time where I considered myself an empath. Oh, okay. I didn't know Which that. I like, I, I like fully blocked that out of my memory until like right now. Um, which I think leads pretty well into my first spicy take of the podcast. Um, I think sometimes when people get started down a spiritual path, they hear terms like empath and they want to be cool. Um, And so they kind of like attach themselves to that when in reality, the intuition that you have is not related to a spiritual talent, but it's related to maybe a skill that you've built over time. So like I am typically very intuitive. I can pick up on like subtle body changes and that sort of stuff, but I'm not, I'm not an empath in that sort of definitional way. I don't feel that I absorb other people's especially nowadays, I don't absorb other people's feelings. What I was doing was observing the people around me to make sure that I was like in a safe environment or that I was with people that I trusted. And if the people that I trusted were demonstrating physical signs of being uncomfortable or being unhappy, I would mirror that back to them in an attempt to like show solidarity or to make the situation more comfortable. Like I was picking up on other people's problems and making them my problem Mm. when in reality I don't necessarily think that that's how empathy works spiritually. And I guess like my my spicy take is first step if you think you're an empath is probably go to therapy. Um, one, because I think if you are an empath, if it turns out you are an empath, having someone to talk to about your feelings is helpful, right? I think talk therapy is great. Um, but if you aren't, You turn out to not be an empath. It might be picking up on like, okay, you have past trauma and that's why you're really good at picking up on like subtle changes that show that someone's angry. Or maybe you are neurodivergent and you've been like, I studied body language. I studied it because I wanted to be able to understand why people interacted in a certain way. And yeah, when you're getting involved in spirituality, you're like, oh my God, I understand this so deeply. I just intuitively know how these people are feeling. I must be an empath. No, I'm just neurodivergent. And I paid a lot of attention to that so that I could be normal or as normal as I could be in public. So I think that like step one, if you're if you're on this journey and you're like, I think I'm gonna be an, I think I'm an empath, I think I have this, do some kind of therapeutic practice around the way you relate to other people's emotions, because I do think there's a difference between like a spiritual intuition and a a psychological, like protective response intuition. Okay. I'm going to disagree a little bit with that. First of all, when you said that you studied people so you could react appropriately, um, you know, I don't know. Is that is that sociopathic behavior a little bit? Because I'm convinced that my ex husband is was a sociopath because he would do that. He didn't know. He didn't laugh. He laughed when other people laughed, and he actually admitted to me once he just wants to follow so that he doesn't stand out. And I was like, dude, that is the most fucked up thing someone could say. Like you have no emotions. Like I I want out of this so fast. I'm gonna stick with sociopath. I'm gonna just well, yeah. I mean, he's your ex husband, so he's definitely a sociopath. Yeah, but it's very you. common for oh. neurodivergent people to not respond to emotion like in the stereo in like the neurotypical way the way right. that like society and so you you especially in the autistic community but sometimes in the ADHD community as well you'll have you'll see these conversations about like I thought that everybody else had the rules. I thought that somebody had given everyone a rule mm. book of like, when is something funny? When do you do this? When do you do that? And we're all just like watching intently like, okay, over there, these two, they're they're whispering to each other and now, and now they're getting close. Okay, I think this is a sign of intimacy. I think this is what you do when you like somebody because we're like, we, we don't know the rules. I don't, I, I didn't inherently pick up on certain things growing up. Holy shit, that's like- I, I mean, for know. me, the ADHD thing, it was because I was like so high energy and so excitable that like I was so excited that I didn't pick up on when other people were like at lower energy levels. So I had to be really like in tune with, okay, these people don't want me to info dump for 40 minutes 
these people don't want me to tell them what to do because I'm like excited about the plan. I need to be able to, to pick up on that. You know? Yeah. Um, Hmm. You know, I wonder, is it that or is it just a cultural thing? Because here's the thing, right? Like, I know people from all different backgrounds. And I don't know if you don't, and I've learned not to do this with people that mm. are not from my background, you know, I, and it's totally fine. Like, I see people, I'm like, hey, how's it going? But in my culture, when you see somebody, a friend, family member, whatever, the first reaction is to, if you haven't seen them in a long time, give them a hug, but you definitely give them a kiss, period. You kiss. So mm-hmm. when I would see families, like I would be younger and I'd go to a friend's house and she would come in the door after school and her, she wouldn't kiss her mother. I'd be like, what? Like, that's your mom. Like, you just came in the house. Like, you kissed your and mom. And this is why I think that therapy is probably the answer because there's so many reasons that you might be hyper aware of somebody's emotional response that aren't just a hyper, like, uh paranormal level of intuition i just took it as a cultural difference i mean when my dad passed away i said to a friend the one thing that i'm really happy about we didn't know that he was so sick or whatever the last words we said to each other were i love you because i used to say that to my dad all the time Mm -hmm. and you know she was talking about her dad i'm like we should just tell him you love him today she goes i can't do that i was like wait you can't tell your dad you you love him it's your dad Okay, so, but, but I just kind of got used to, like, some people are not going to be affectionate, so I just kind of roll with it, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm not the one who is going to be the one to hug or be the one to, you know, and I yeah. have friends where even on Zoom during this whole pandemic, when we see each other, the last things are, love you, and we, like, you mm-hmm. know, Mwah, you know, send a kiss yeah. out, like, that's just normal, and when we see each other, we hug and we kiss, like, it's just, it's what, it, it's just totally normal, but actually, you know there what's really are- funny? Mm-hmm. I just realized they're different cultures and another friend who I always kiss and we always say I love you when we leave is also a different culture from my own. So I don't know if it's just we developed this culture within each other that we just kind of do this over and maybe because we've known each other for so freaking long that it's just yeah. like, I don't know, but I, I just I find that interesting. The there are definitely said, ways to tell the difference between like a cultural difference yeah. and if a person is neurodivergent and part of that is therapy. But here's the thing. If a therapist is not okay with or understand different spiritualities then how can they help you if you happen to be an empath but they're stuck in there okay so this is going to be you know what i'm saying like they want to take you down a different road and i think that's kind of dangerous because look i have to admit all the times that i've been in therapy trying to explain that i'm pagan is just a freaking chore and a half that i just don't sometimes I, this is a spicy take for the therapists listening. Okay. I don't think that anyone should disclose their religion to their therapist. Um, I suggest therapy as a first step for empaths because if there is a trauma-based response happening there, that is what the therapist will help you to deal with. And that can mitigate that that empathy that you're feeling if you're dealing with the trauma that it actually stems from. Yeah. If you are just an empath, if it turns out, you know, this is not a trauma-based response, you're intuitive, I think that then you need to start using other techniques. Um, okay. I I don't think anyone should disclose their religion to their therapist. I don't think it should matter. I think we've mentioned in the past therapists don't always have a great response to non-traditional religions. Um, therapists don't have a great response to non um European cultures. I was watching a TikTok the other day about a a Desi woman who was complaining that her therapist told her to cut her family out. She's like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) I'm obviously not doing that. So I I do think that like when I say this, I want to say it effectively that if you're going to therapy, it should be to make sure that you're not experiencing empathy as a trauma response or as a, a neurodivergency. And then once you've determined, okay, yes, I am definitely, this is not what's happening, then you need to move into using some other tips because I don't think therapy will make you spiritually safer. It will make you mentally safer. I agree with that. 
And I do think that when it comes to finding a therapist, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes insurances are very funny about who they will allow and not Mm -hmm. allow, but you've got to find a therapist that is open to different things. And while I say that I agree with don't disclose your religion, but it does come up in simple conversations during therapy and Christmas is coming up and they're like, so, you know, uh, what are you doing for Christmas? Of course, what they want to find out is, are you alone? Are you mm-hmm. going to have support? Is this going to be like a spiral you're going to go down if you tell me yeah. I'm totally alone for Christmas? You know, and saying things like, you know, Christmas isn't a big deal. Oh, so then automatically they're going to say Jewish. Maybe they'll say Muslim. Chances mm-hmm. are they won't. Um, atheists probably will come up before they say Muslim. And yeah. it's just like, uh, no, no. <laughs> like, I, you know, and it hasn't come up in every with every therapist that I've had in the past but definitely with the last one came up and I was just kind of like you know I don't know I just like rolled my head around like I don't know what to say because you know things happen like you know how do you fill your time you know I do this I do that I have a podcast oh what's the podcast about god damn why did I say a podcast you know what I mean because now I have to go into it's called witch space you know and um so I think at some point it's going to come up but you're right you don't have to disclose anything that you don't want to. Um, and, and, and saying it that way, I can see what you're saying. Yes, therapy might be a good place to start. All right, so you've been to therapy, and guess what? You're an empath, baby. Now, what should you do? And you know, this has been something that has been um, close to us. This has been close to us. Yeah. Because we do have somebody in the coven who is an empath who's had a really hard time um, dealing with it. My father said about me when I was young that I was like a vacuum cleaner and that I picked up on people's energies and that I would take things to heart. I never called myself an empath mm-hmm. because I just, I'm a vacuum cleaner. I just left it at that. I thought that was kind of yeah. that's how he put it so that I would, I would understand it. But knowing that and having my parents recognize that I may have the ability to pick up on people that way and that it could mm-hmm. hurt me because now I'm taking it onto me. They helped me. So I don't really have that problem. I think it, it takes a lot of, and we'll go over like different steps that you can do and yeah. things that I've done, but it gets to the point where, especially when you're in a field like teaching, I have asked kids, are you okay? Without them even having shown things, because I can tell this mm-hmm. kid is not okay. This kid is going to need help. Unfortunately, though, because you deal with so many people at a time, for the most part, it, that whole thing is shut off because I can't yeah. go there. You know, I won't be able to function, do my job or even be good at helping them if I'm open all the time to everybody. So so I just don't. And it's just easier for me to be closed off. And sometimes I catch myself. Sometimes it starts to slip and it's like, oh, no, we're not going there today, baby. You know, um, mm-hmm. so what can you do? So what are some tips people can do? Is this my quiz now? Oh, no, I don't know. I just thought since I was talking for a while, maybe you want to say something and I'll say something else. Well, on the one hand, I want you to explain specifically what you do to close off because I think that would be very interesting. Okay. But um, I think step one is always kind of the grounding and centering practice that every spiritual website and blog and person on Instagram suggests that you have and says how important. It, it is. It's super helpful to be able to at least – stabilize yourself in a moment and whether that's like a mindfulness technique or a visualization or a meditation it can be the the first step to a greater um sense of self which i think is something that empaths need to make sure they have a really strong sense of self so that they're not filling themselves with other people so i'll tell you what i did as a kid and i'll tell you what i do as an adult which is different. As a child, I was told to imagine that there's like a little door, a little door that just closes, a little door that closes and locks. And I'm inside and everybody else is outside. Now, in a sense, what I'm doing is shielding. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it feels to me because when I shield, I feel like it's something totally different. When I close the little door, it's a little white door. Like I literally feel like I can do it right now. Like my brain, I feel like there's a little hole open And in my brain, something just goes click, click, and it's just closed. Mm -hmm. And everything is just, it's white, and it's just like, it's closed, and that's it. And if I'm closed, I'm closed. I'm closed for business. As an adult, yes, grounding and um, 
you know, people say ground and center. I always say ground and shielding, which is after you've ground and centered. And we can explain those if you want. Um, it comes shielding. And that to me is probably, it's one of the most relaxing, beautiful things that you can do, not just because you do it for yourself, but because it's just, if you visualize, mm -hmm. it's a really nice thing. So basically grounding and centering, you are imagining your feet going all the way down. You are part of the earth. The roots are going in. If you're on a top floor, it doesn't matter. They are smashing their way down. You should mm -hmm. be able to feel the ground, like when it's rained, like I feel like you can imagine like the muddiness, the the dampness, you know, it's also kind of cold because after the, the rain has settled in the ground, even if it's summer, I just imagine it's kind of cold instead of warm. Yeah. Um, if it's really cold out, I kind of imagine like, oh my God, my roots have to go through this like, you know, frozen solid ground, but they get in mm -hmm. there and somehow when they get in there, I'm not going to say it's molten, that it's warm, but there is a sense of like, okay, I'm kind of here and it's not so cold mm -hmm. anymore. You know, you kind of feel yourself in one spot connected to everything because we are connected to everything spiritually and physically. When it comes to shielding, you are imagining something enveloping you. Mm -hmm. And that could be anything. If you are a flower person and you can imagine a bunch of flowers and it's just kind of, you know, sometimes I've imagined things like enveloping me like a mummy. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of like push them out so that it's around me, but not on me type of thing. Kind of like you make a, ca a cocoon. Yeah, like a little cocoon. And it's anything, you know, because because I'm a Scorpio, my favorite thing to imagine are fall leaves. Mm -hmm. And I imagine like the really green soft ones, but then like the crunchy colored ones like all yeah. around. And it's just kind of like that's my little like cocoon. But you know, I've also imagined like feathers, like wings, just kind of like enveloping me. I've imagined, I mean, you could do butterflies, you could do anything. Sometimes it's just smoke. You yeah. Know? And while when I've built it up and I've imagined it, I just imagine that nothing can come in. There's nothing you can come at me, not with fire, not with any of the elements is what I'm saying. You can't mm -hmm. come at me with a sword. You can't come at me with some fire. You can't come at me and try to drown me. Like nothing is going to get in, which means nobody is getting in. Um, and that is done, I'm going to say, it's not even like an empath thing. That's just a thing, you know, you mentioned when you start getting into the craft, you start becoming this little light for people and people yeah. are drawn to that. And sometimes people want to fuck with you. And sometimes they don't even know why. I'm not even going to yeah. go into it, but I think there's definitely a situation going on at work where like somebody wants to, somebody all of a sudden has become I don't want, they're not obsessed with me, but there's like a little something off about this person who I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. I think they're new. And I'm like, why would this person do this? And part of me is like, you know what? They probably don't even know why they're doing it. Somebody's trying yeah. to fuck with me and get me off kilter. And I'm just like, you know what? Let it go. But it was getting to me. Like this person was getting to me. And then I finally went, no, it's not me. And it's probably not even them. So I actually think that that is a really powerful tip for all people, but especially for empaths is one of the steps you have to take is working with yourself to recognize that you don't have to internalize other people's responses to you. Yep. Um, and there are a lot of ways to do that. I'm a big fan of like mantra work or like just, you know, s making statements to yourself to remind yourself. But when you're in, when you're naturally just intuitively pulling in other people's feelings, it can feel like you're responsible for that. Like, I have mm. this power. I need to do something about it. No, you don't. Mm -mm. No, you don't. You, it's, you can spiritually create your yourself a shield, but also mentally you need to accept that the shield is a helpful thing because you do not have to, you know, look at a person who you know is being sketchy and be like, well, I need to fix this problem. Nope. If they're being weird, they're being weird. You can move on. Right. You know, and I know people might be thinking, but you're a teacher. Don't you want to help all the kids? I'm not a therapist and I'm not going to pretend to be one just because I may be in tune with certain things. I'm not a therapist. I'm not licensed. I'm not trained. And the last thing I want to do is hurt somebody more than they're already hurt. You know, I'm not going to take that on. Yeah. I'm paid to teach English. And this is something that I think teachers need to 
to hear if there are any educators out there. We're expected every day to take on more and more emotional work mm-hmm. without realizing that we have lives, we have families, you know, we have to do our own emotional work. And I'm not saying ignore something. I mean, a kid comes to me with something. I'm the first one who's like, tell me everything because we're going to get you help and we're going to, you know, solve yeah. this. But I'm not, I'm not opening myself up in any situation mm-hmm. because I, I'm, the, I'm there to do a job first and foremost. And I also have a right to live my life. Yes. So, you know, people also have to see that, you know, if you're an empath, you are not obligated to now give yourself to the world. Yes. You know, for the rest of your life, unless you choose to, if you choose to take on a life of service, that's, that's awesome. Yes. But that's a choice that you make. You do not have to be everybody's empath that, you know, you have to go around doing things for people. And I think that's something that is hard as witches. It's hard as educators and any, anybody else in the field. It's hard to, to draw that line. But I think we have to, if we're going to help anybody, you have to help yourself because there's just so much you can give before you run out of stuff. If you're not helping yourself, you're going to run out of things to give and then no one's getting helped. So absolutely. And I think that um, being, especially like for a teacher, picking up on someone's emotions and doing something about those emotions are two separate steps. Pick up on those emotions, do the appropriate thing, follow the appropriate pathways. But a lot, and and again, empaths, sometimes when you pick up on emotions, you say, I want to fix this. I want to handle this. I want to help. But especially if you're a new empath, especially if you're just discovering and like you need these tips, you're not qualified right now. You're not qualified. You don't know what the right steps are. You should be able to, as an empath, control and understand your abilities before you are then using them to help other people. Agreed. Because, I mean, it's something that I think is in discussion nowadays about like trauma bonding. And how sometimes friendships created exclusively through talking about our problems are not actually helpful. They just make us worse because we're so focused and so centered on that trauma that we're not actually doing any like helpful processing. So you can't go into a situation, you can't decide or realize you're an empath and then immediately go into helping people without protecting yourself because... Sometimes you think you're doing good and you're actually doing harm. And harming yourself is bad. I I really want this episode, if it does nothing else, to stress to empaths that you are not responsible for other people. If all you do is worry about other people's feelings and care about other people's feelings and don't take care of yourself at all, you are harming yourself. And just because maybe you're not picking up on that because you're picking up on other people's feelings doesn't mean that it's not going to affect you. I agree with that 100%. You know, getting back to the shielding, um, if it's helpful, I used to, I don't, I don't do it anymore. I used to have like a little thing I would say. So it's kind of like a little spell, like just this whole mm-hmm. idea of, you know, wrapping myself up, I, you know, it's your energy. When you are wrapping yourself up, it's not just you're doing this this little exercise and oh it's cool I just visualized something you really got to think that this is your aura soul however you want to put it that is kind of stretching out which is why I say sometimes it would be like really tight on my body and I would stretch it out because it really is me kind of stretching it out this is supposed to be a cocoon that I can move around mm-hmm. in. it's not supposed to be a suit of armor that I wear it's just something that is around me so you know, it may take a while to like get the visualization down. And if you can't visualize, draw it. Yeah. Or write about it. You know, anything that you have your full attention on is going to be impactful. So if you are writing something like, I have this around me, nothing can penetrate it. You're just doing like a journal entry. Yes. That's the spell. You are doing it whether you can actually see it and visualize it. But if you are focused 100%, then yes, your energy is coming out and creating that shield and that that boundary. I've actually shielded my whole house and everything in it. Yeah, That's not a daily thing. 
I used to do that on a daily basis. Jesus Christ. That's a lot. That's a lot of energy. Yeah, it is. But that's why I would do it first thing in the morning. Yeah. You know? Do I do it on a daily basis? I kind of feel like it's pretty strong that I don't need to do it on a daily basis. I think in the beginning I felt Mm -hmm. like, is this strong enough? And that's something else as an empath you have to think about. And this is not to freak people out, but we're never alone. Our guides are with us, right? I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say this as things are out to get you. No, you know, <laughs> our, our guides are with us. Your ancestors are with you. Um, you know, spirits of past familiars are with you. You know, so when you protect your home, you can also reach out to them to help you to protect your yeah. home. Because, yeah, people with a thought can send something to you. It doesn't have to be a big, I'm going to hex her. But you start talking trash about somebody and you are doing it with so much anger, that's going to that person. Shield your house from that negative energy. Your house should be clean. Yeah. If Especially if you're an empath. Um, you're going to have enough stuff to pick up on in your own house with your family. So yeah. at least try to keep it clean. Even if you're not an empath, you should. that's one thing that I don't think gets enough talk, which is this idea of the protection of your home. Yeah, we should definitely do an episode on that. Yeah. I think the biggest tip that I have kind of encompasses everything that we've been talking about, but an empath needs to really be in touch with themselves. And I think that this is something that like all people should do at all times. People should be you know, scanning their body and being in touch with their body and know what they really want and what they really need. But especially as an empath, you are more capable and more safe if you are able to distinguish between what I am feeling what I, and what I want and what other people are feeling and what they want. And so if you're very young, this might start with body scans, right? Laying mm-hmm. down and, and literally sending your energy through your body to you know, feel sensations, a regular journaling practice where you, you know, talk about things that have happened and how you feel about them. Um, if you want to do meditation, a regular meditation, but just something that brings you back to you. Um, I think a really, uh, a great technique is to have some kind of physical, um, trigger, I guess, uh, to sort of, help you remember like, okay, I'm in my body. I'm, I'm me, that sort of thing. Um, I, (laughs) I'm going to explain to you how my brain got to this point because it's weird, but it eventually makes sense. I was thinking about, um, how, when my husband and I hold hands, sometimes he will squeeze my hand a couple of times. And that's sort of like, I love you, but I need to let go. And that is, um, we could be walking through the mall, we could be doing something, but when he does that, it automatically brings me back to, I'm here with the person that I love, puts me back in the moment. And when you get caught up in, in a strong emotion, sometimes you need to get brought back to the moment. And so if you have like, you know, oh, I will like, um, hold my thumb or I will, uh, have a, a worry stone that I'll take out to just kind of help you physically bring yourself back that can also end up acting as sort of a protective talisman for you to remind you, okay, come back to my shield or come back to my grounding, come back to my me. And if you start incorporating that early, whatever that trigger is, it can help you to not need it going forward to be able to be like, okay, I am comfortable with myself. I'm centered in myself enough. (laughs) I'm centered in myself enough that I'm no longer getting swept away by other people's emotions and other people's um, experiences. And so very much the tool could be whatever works, right? It could be the physical trigger. It could be the journaling. It could be the meditation. It could be whatever. But the reason you do it is to make sure that you are constantly reminding yourself to feel your feelings first and to experience your reality first. I really like that. I don't have anything more to say. (laughs) About that. No, I, I think that that's really good. Um, we often don't do that. I feel that people meditate, which I do think is, is great. But we don't ever 
concentrate on how we can work on getting ourselves into that meditative state when we need to Mm -hmm. immediately. And that's something that we do need to practice because it will help you throughout the day. It's just a helpful tool. You know, one of the things that I like when it comes to meditation, which could help people simply because you're talking about the physicality. And when you were talking about walking in the mall, it hit me. Um, Walking meditation. Yeah. A lot of people think is just you're walking and you're meditating. No, it's not about that. It's about you're taking. If you have to get somewhere, that's not the point of walking meditation. You could literally do it in a room because you're not going very far. You are literally breathing in, breathing out, being very conscious and feeling the steps you are taking. And that is your only focus. The breath and the feeling of your feet and your body moving forward and you know, when you start out, you do it with your eyes closed, but you can do it with your eyes open. What's nice about that walking meditation is that once you've got it down pat, you literally could be in the mall, need a moment, and say to you, switch from mall walking to meditative walking. Do a couple of steps that way, it'll bring you back. So for people who are starting out, I think that's a good way to to start this whole idea of mindfulness in a physical way. Yeah. Because... I think it's something, it'll be a tool that you can use then when you want to just bring yourself back at any moment if you've practiced that enough. And I want, I don't know if it's a book, a book on tape, but the Buddhist teacher, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, if mm-hmm. people don't know who he is, he is a Zen teacher um, from Vietnam, living in France. Just amazing. I just, you know, I feel every witch should have a good, we talked about philosophy background. I think yeah. studying Buddhism uh, would really be beneficial to so many witches. And I think he's a great teacher. Yeah. So no, I agree. I've, he anything has, you um, can find on him. A lot of these little, not a lot, there's like four that I know off the top of my head, but he's got these little meditative books on yes. like different topics, Yes. which I think are so great. This is not an empath thing. This is just a witch thing. Yeah. Um, this is just a person thing in general. But I think those are so fun because it's it's little, it's digestible. And I think a lot of times we get into this problem where it's like, oh, I don't have time in the day. I can't do these things. And like, no, totally agreed. I also don't have time in the day. That's why I like the little ones because you can pick like, okay, I'm going to meditate on love today. And he'll right. give you like these little tidbits that you can like, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes thinking about this sentence that he wrote and then move on. And that's something you can do with all of these tools, with the meditative walking, with the breathing, with um, the physical trigger. It doesn't have to be a 20-minute process, you know, to, to be good at, to be a, a controlled empath doesn't have to be a lot of time. Right. It needs to be practice. And the time probably comes in the beginning. When you're first starting to do this stuff, yeah. it's going to may take you half an hour, but then then it takes you no time at all. Yeah, I think, and I think, this is like a slight tangent, I think it's important that when we have these conversations, we provide as many sort of action steps as possible Mm, for people, because I do think it can be very dangerous to just be like, well, empaths need to meditate. Right. That doesn't, that doesn't tell us anything. So I hope that if you're listening to this and, and you're one of the people who asked for tips for empaths. You can pick whatever of this feels like it resonates for you and test it out in your life. I don't want you to come here and be like, oh, well, they just said meditate, so I'm going to just try and meditate. Because when something isn't clear, it's harder to do. And then you get frustrated and then you don't do it. And when you don't keep up a practice, you're not as protected. You're not as safe. I want to talk about getting aggravated now that we mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh. So I want to talk about... Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh for a bit. He's got a book. I want to say it's called just Anger, but that's probably wrong. It's a mm-hmm. book about anger. And I find that many empaths, you know, before you start to really protect yourself and everything and you start to get all these emotions you don't understand, anger can come out. You can mm-hmm. just all of a sudden be like, okay, I was fine one second and now I'm super angry and I don't know what's happening. And one thing about anger, Thich Nhat Hanh says, is that it's not separate from you you don't want to say well i don't want to be angry i want to cast away anger no anger is within us so you have to hold it and cherish it like a baby and the first time i read that i was like wait what is he going on about if a baby is fussing 
You're not like, well, to hell with the baby, get it away from me. You want to find out why the baby's fussing, right? Maybe the baby does need to sit by itself for a little bit because he's too used to being carried around and, you know, that's a bad mm-hmm. habit. Or maybe there's something going on. You know, maybe the baby's not feeling well. You don't know. So you want to examine it. So you want to hold the baby. So you want to hold on to your anger, but not hold on to it outside. Really visualize it again, visualizing something outside, but it's a part of you. So you are holding it and you are nourishing it. When you nourish the anger, when you acknowledge this anger, you can start to figure out, all right, why am I angry? Am I actually angry? Am I anxious? Mm -hmm. Am I upset, like sad upset, but there's so much of it that I'm thinking that it's anger? So for empaths, for anybody really, but for empaths that are like, why am I feeling this? Or why do I have these feelings? That anger book might be a good one to pick up Mm -hmm. because I think it could be good for any emotion, any emotion that you're feeling to really take the steps to examine it and not feel like it's separate from you or that you have to banish it. It's okay to feel sadness. It's okay to feel anger, but it's never okay to not really examine it and know why, because it's not going to help you to not know. I think this is a huge problem that people have in general, Mm -hmm. but I do, I do think that as empaths, you need to feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. Whatever those feelings are, you need to feel them, right? Especially like intellectualizing them and being like, oh, well, I'm experiencing such and such because I'm near so and so, blah, blah, blah. That's not actually going to help you. It doesn't, you're not processing that emotion, whether it's yours or you're picking it up from someone else. Allowing yourself to feel feelings is reasonable and appropriate. The thing that you need to, all people need to do, but empaths especially, is figure out a way to feel those feelings without taking them out on other people. Yeah. And that's a a long process that is complicated and part of growing up. Um, But also, maybe there's a... I mean, if, if we're considering empath from a really spiritual perspective, there's probably a reason you're picking up on that feeling, right? You have this intuitive power... Allow yourself to sit with the intuition that you're getting for a minute and say, okay, what is it that I'm really feeling? Right? You've, nobody wants to be angry. Nobody wants to be sad. We, we don't like them. We consider them negative emotions, but they're all telling us something about our body. And you can't, I can't tell you at the beginning of the podcast how essential it is as an empath for you to really be in tune with yourself and to know yourself as best as possible and then say, intellectualize away all your feelings. Right, whatever right. feeling you're experiencing, you need to feel it, whether or not you want to. Because do we ever want? Do we ever want to feel any feeling? Do we ever consciously sit down and go, "I would like to be happy today," or does it just come to us from the experience that we experience? I don't know. Good question. I know. Yeah, I. I <laughs> my brain immediately took a deep dive into philosophy territory. So let's roll that shit back. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we live in a society where feelings are either generative, they either create something, or they're useless. But that's not true. Any feeling that you feel is a part of you, and you have to experience it, whether you want to or not. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really important to know the difference between your feelings and something you're picking up on. Yeah. And that takes time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely does. And this is the thing that is so annoying, especially like if you're an air sign. I hate waiting. I think we all hate waiting, at least a little part of us. I want to immediately be good at things. I want to immediately um, know how to handle things. And I am an old woman now, and I'm realizing as I age that like (laughs) part of this is the way that you just are when you're young. But part of it is sort of this societal pressure that you you are going to be successful at a thing or you're not going to do it. And we need to find a way to find joy in the learning. Because I've had conversations with so many people about like, oh, I don't I'm bad at meditating. I don't meditate. I've said it myself. When in reality, 
we're bad at the perception of meditating because we don't sit down and immediately shut our brains off and sit there for 30 minutes in like this beautiful Zen breathing pattern. But I, I've done yoga for years. And what I realized recently is I'm actually pretty okay at meditating if I meditate in the way that I've practiced, which is like a yoga style meditation, a Shavasana. I've done body scans a lot. I'm pretty good at meditating if I do a body scan. I'm not good at this societal image of meditating because I've never practiced it. If I, if I wanted to be good at that, I could sit down five minutes a day for the next 10 years and be really fucking good at it. But I have to do it. And that part sucks. <laughs> that I part sucks. Think, I also think that we have this weird notion that that is what meditating is. Like you are going yeah. to sit in a spot and you're going to have your mind go blank, go blank. And at some point, once you've been able to achieve that, that's meditation. You know, I think you can get lost in anything where your mind goes blank. When fall comes and the leaves really start to change and I'm driving, I am aware that I am just focusing on well, the road, but the trees. Yeah. I am focusing on the fact that I am the only person on the road and mm-hmm. I get to see this. And I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about home. I'm not thinking about anything. I am focusing on what I'm doing. That's meditation. Yeah. So I think people need to stop being so hard on themselves. Is there something you get lost in? It's not the same to say a video game because you are concentrating on the game. We're talking about something that you can get lost in. You enter like a flow state. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and to not make it seem like you said it doesn't have to be half an hour. It can be. If yeah. you can sit for half an hour, that's awesome. People right out of the gate are not going to do that. You're lucky if you get a minute. And you know what? That's awesome. Yeah. Pat yourself on the back for that minute. I do think there's one more thing that we have to talk about for empaths. Okay. I think it's a it's actually a pretty big topic. Uh-oh. So we need to talk about boundaries. Okay. Empaths especially, all people, but empaths especially – need to have firm boundaries with other people. If you are overstimulated, you need to say, I need to go be by myself for a little bit. You need to have a space that's just for you that, you know, you can go into and that nobody's going to come bother you. You need to have people who you trust around you. And part of boundaries that I think we're missing as a society is you need to communicate clearly with the people that you're around. Mm. Because I think there's, like we mentioned before, I think there's this push that like, oh, you have to cut out all toxic people. First, you need to clearly communicate to people what boundary of yours they're breaking and why it's a problem. Because I think a lot of people, when you tell them clearly, this thing that you do is hurtful and I need you to stop doing it, the people who love you are going to say, I'm going to stop doing that. So as an empath, boundaries don't mean cut everybody out. They don't mean, you know, the minute a person sends you a negative feeling, you need to not be around them. It means you need to know a place that is safe for you, know people that are safe for you, and clearly communicate when somebody's energy is just too much. If people are still shitty after that, yeah, fuck them. But... Unfortunately, you have all the power in this situation, right? As an empath, you are the one picking up on other people's feelings. Most people don't want you to do that. And you probably don't want to do that. So having clearly communicated boundaries not only helps you because it allows you to remove yourself from a situation where the emotions are too much. It allows you to communicate maybe behaviors that cause you to feel more strongly emotions from other people. But it helps the people that you love and care about feel safe around you and feel protected knowing that you're not coming into them trying to like steal all of their secret feeling information and use it against them. I think people need to set up boundaries anyway. Agreed. Big agree. I mean, you know, but that's just, that's a different topic about setting boundaries with people, period. I like when you agree with me. It makes me feel smart. I feel like I'm getting a good grade. <laughs> oh, pfft. Those are my favorite episodes when, it's, when Scorpio's like, yeah, I agree with that. 
That's all. I'm like, yes, I won witch space today. I feel like I, we do agree on a lot of things. We don't necessarily like agree like, how can I put this? Sometimes I agree with you, agree with you, like in this case. And sometimes I yes. agree like, yeah, that's valid, but like, nah. I'm not going to yes, do that. Yes, I like yeah. when you just agree with me, agree with me. Got it. Okay, yeah. This then time I, I feel like you, I won. Oh, okay, yeah. you, you won which space today. Yeah. I did. I win. Okay. It's not I, helpful for the length of the podcast, but it means I won. I feel like we should be playing chess or something. So they like when this happens, you go, I won. You just clear all the pieces off the, off the okay, board. Well, the best That's part it. of this, I'm recording in a different space today because um, my office is a mess. And I'm recording on our dining room table where I specifically painted a chessboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my laptop is on a chessboard right now. Uh, so I uh, checkmate. I win. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, right. I'll post a picture of it for everybody when this goes up, so you guys can see what the chessboard looks like. Well, I hope more than anything that this was helpful for people, and yeah. you know, let us know what you think. Let us know if there's something that we didn't talk about that you want us to talk about with this topic or maybe we touched on different topics so if there's something you want us to talk about further let us know right yeah send us a message on instagram email us thank you so much for being such amazing listeners for reaching out and asking us questions for giving us topics you want us to talk about and book suggestions we love to hear from you and we love making a podcast for you thank you to kano and more for our intro and outro music that we are obsessed with And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us.